Hello and welcome to this week's podcast. We are so happy that you joined us today. This is Josh Carlson with Hilltop Community Church, and this week's message is the first message in our new series titled Words of Life. So today we have some very special guests and friends of Hilltop, Kevin and Daniela Dixon. Today they're going to be talking about God's plan for relationship and oneness in marriage. We're very excited to hear what they have to say, so let's go ahead and get started. I think you guys have got a real treat this morning hearing from Kevin. Um, Daniela is just, uh, you know, Kevin wouldn't be here without her, that's for sure. Um, And... uh, um, He's going to be sharing with you about marriage this morning, uh, this series that we're in looking at words of life. And so we're going to um, kind of look at how God directs uh, us within our relationship with him and then our human relationships as well. And so that's what Kevin's going to be sharing with you this morning. Um, and uh, so just dig in, enjoy, open up your Bibles, Genesis 2 uh, and Ephesians 5. Kevin's going to share a whole bunch of really fun stuff with you. So Great. I'm going to turn it over to you now. Thanks, Kurt. So, and like Kurt was saying, you know, God has designed these ideas for relationships. And, and a lot of times, you know, we, oh, we're going to talk about marriage, you know, immediately we always think, oh, the garden, you know, the garden, you've got man, Adam and Eve, and it's just supposed to be perfect. And yet so often you get man and woman together in a room and it looks a little bit like this. Or like this. From the dawn of Monday to the setting sun of Saturday, an epic war rages. Until suddenly, harmony breaks out. Well, at least for Sunday. Okay, let's just admit it for a second. You know, men and women are entirely two different types of people. I mean, in a lot of ways, it's kind of a miracle that the human race has survived as long as it has. You just put a man and a woman together and hope for the best. You put two sinners in a room Dear Lord, how did we get this far? So, you know, and that's what we're going to be kind of talking about today is two different types of people. You've got men and women, and we're struggling throughout the week. And then apparently on Sunday, as this old British TV ad would share with us, suddenly harmony breaks out. I don't know, it's a British thing today. So, and, and apparently harmony is supposed to happen. At least that's what the world would share with us, you know? And so today that's what I actually like to talk about. Um, we're going to be looking at the mystery of marriage and this concept of oneness that the Bible talks about, as opposed to maybe what the world tells us our marriages should be about. Um, If you don't know me, uh, my name's Kevin Dixon. My wife, Daniela, is down here. We've got three amazing kiddos floating around here somewhere. They're probably destroying a room somewhere in the back. Um, And and we are Hilltop missionaries. And uh, like Kurt was saying, uh, we serve in the Czech Republic and we're working with 122 churches in the Czech Republic, one of the most atheist 
atheistic countries in the world and helping those churches figure out how to do discipleship and evangelism. And we're going to be sharing a little bit more about what that looks like, especially in light of the situation with Ukraine. Um, Right now, for context, we live about 250 miles from the Ukrainian border. That's like here to Elko, by the way. Um, And so we're going to be talking a little bit about that right after this service in the building next door. And we'd like to invite you to come listen to that. Um, Last time we were here was about two years ago. We got to do kind of a four-month internship homestay. We were kind of kind of staff, kind of not. It was kind of a weird thing. But we got to be here with the family, and then we went back to check, and, and then COVID hit. It's been a really hard two years. And then we came back, and COVID's not here. And I'm not trying to put two and two together, but I'm thinking that maybe we had something not, probably didn't have anything to do with us. Anyways, um, so uh, we've been married, uh, I've been in the Czech Republic since 2004. We've been married for almost 12 years. Uh, My wife is Czech, she's been in the Czech Republic then a lot longer than me. Um, And like I said, we've got three incredible kids, married for 12 years, and lots of stories of marriage wins and some marriage failures um, about serving together through this concept of oneness that the Bible talks about. Uh, But before we get to what the Bible says about marriage, I want to quickly look at what the world says about marriages. Now, obviously, as Christians, none of us have any marriage problems. We have perfect holy marriages, none issues. So I'm really just going to kind of share some of these pictures with you to understand, you know, what your neighbor's marriage kind of looks like. So let's look at this. You know, first off, we just have to understand that men and women are different, especially at the beginning of that relationship. Communication is just super hard. What a weird way to start a conversation. I mean, it's just super hard right at the beginning. And despite how much we might try, sometimes we just understand things totally differently. Yeah, uh, you know, however, eventually our communication skills improve. (laughs) Kurt said that I should mention that's not me, by the way. Um, (laughs) Kind of, I mean, kind of. Um, You know, but eventually our marriage roles are understood a little bit better. Yada, okay, you know, and then let's not forget part of marriage is what happens in the bedroom or maybe doesn't happen in the bedroom. And, you know, and so on the whole, this idea of worldly marriage seems okay. The problem is, is the kids are starting to pick up on that something's broken. Something's not right. And so, and so where do we begin with all of this? You know, where do we start? And so I want to start this morning by looking at the first couple of the Bible. We're going to look at Adam and Eve. So you can turn your Bibles to Genesis 2. We're going to be picking up the verse in uh, verse 15. Genesis 2, verse 15. By the way, this year I'm reading the New King James Version, so it might sound a little different than what you've got in your hands, but I think we're all going to manage just fine. Genesis 2, starting in verse 15. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. But of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Eda. 
And the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all the cattle, to the birds of the air, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. Okay, so let's quickly recap what's going on here in the garden. Man is created by God, and he said, this, this is good. But man, like all men, got a little lonely, didn't know what to do with himself, and so God says, you know what, I'm going to create for him all of these animals, and he brings them to Adam, and Adam, man, begins to give them these names, and he names the animals on the land and the birds of the air, and God brings him an animal, and Adam says, that that's a cow, that's a dog, that's a cat, that's a sheep, that's a bluebird, a blackbird, redbird, some other kind of bird, platypus, tiger, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But of all the creatures on earth, Adam still hasn't found his soul partner. So God puts man to sleep, and from man he forms Eve. And as soon as Adam wakes up, Adam's heart starts singing. He starts singing poetry. Take a listen. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. I'm going to be honest. I hear that British voice, and I just think it sounds holier. I don't know why. Just <laughs> judge me later. That's fine. Okay, so this is it. We've got two naked people walking around in the garden in love, in harmony with each other, and in harmony with God. And, and man and woman are made in God's image. And God says, this, this is good. They were naked, and it's good. And before we go any farther, I just want to take a side detour really fast, and we got to remember something, that you and I were created by God, and he sees each and every single one of us as good. Like in a world where so many people are questioning their sexuality, their gender, you got to remember, it's so important to know that God created you exactly how you are supposed to be and he looks at you and says, that's good. That's good. We can never forget that. The problem is that then sin happens. We'll pick it up in Genesis 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So the, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes 
and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. They realize that they're naked, and it shames them. It makes them feel uncomfortable. That intimacy of the relationship, of the harmony that they had with each other and with God, that intimacy that all of us are craving, it's broken. And it starts with sin. It all starts with this break in a relationship with God. I want you to quickly, though, look back at chapter 2, verse 15 and 16. I'll paraphrase for you. God gives man, Adam, he says, I'm going to give you a command. He says, do not eat of this tree. But just a few verses later, the serpent asked the woman, Eve, about the tree. But I got a question for you. Who told Eve about the tree? Like somewhere between 2.16 and 3.1, what God says to Adam, God's command, is lost. And Eve misses the mark. See, the Bible doesn't tell us what happened, but here's kind of what I think happened. I think man, Adam, as head of the household, as husband, he failed in properly conveying to his wife what God had said. Men, do you hear that? The first failure of the Bible wasn't eating the apple, which by the way, it probably wasn't even an apple. It was probably more like a pomegranate. The first failure of the Bible wasn't eating a pomegranate. The first failure of man wasn't that he was hiding behind his naked wife while she was talking with a serpent. No, the first failure of the Bible is Adam as the husband failing at being the spiritual head of his house and instructing his family and all he knows about God. See, Adam's responsibility was to convey and share with his wife, all of God's commands. Adam's responsibility was ensuring that Eve understood what God had commanded of them. And when Eve is put to the test, not only is Adam silent in the background, but Eve doesn't even know really what God had actually said. And from there, it just goes downhill further and further and further. So then when we start talking about this concept of of real biblical love, of this mystery of marriage, this picture is distorted entirely. And if we look at the Bible, the problem starts with how the husband is leading his household. So I want to look today at probably one of the most controversial passages in the Bible when it concerns marriage. It's in Ephesians 5. So if you're new to us, um, you're going to turn all the way to like the back two-thirds of your Bible. You're going to pass some books with some guys' names in them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. It's about halfway, two-thirds of the way back. Ephesians 5. And this is probably one of the most controversial topics, especially for people that don't understand these concepts because they look at this and they say, that word kind of tweaks me a little bit. And honestly, as Christians, I kind of struggle with this passage too. And so as we go through it, I actually want to go through it in reverse order. So we're going to start with Ephesians 5, verse 24. Because I think when we read these verses in reverse order, 
we start to see how it starts with Christ and then our roles begin to align a little bit better. So Ephesians 5 verse 24 says, Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be their own husbands in everything. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. So this crucial word in this whole section, and honestly the word that gets destroyed the most, is this word submit. Ooh, it just feels hard. Submit. And so, and so the Greek word that's used here is hupotasso. Yeah, Kurt? It sounds even better than first service. All right, so it's hupotasso. Try it with me. You're a Greek scholars already. It's awesome. All right. So, and everywhere in the New Testament, this word is, is describing, it implies this relationship of a one directional submission to an authority. So we're going to look at some examples of this word, which is used both as this concept of submission and also being subject to something. So in Luke 2.51, this word gets used as Jesus submits to the authority of his parents. Luke 10.17, demons submit to the authority of the disciples. This is a little bit harder for us here, but it is biblical. Citizens are subject to government authority. This universe is subject to Christ. First Peter tells us that unseen spiritual powers submit to the authority of Christ. Christ is subject to God the Father. Church members are subject to church leaders. The church submits to the authority of Christ. Christians submit to the authority of God. And wives, wives are subject to their husbands. See, none of these relationships are ever reversed. Like, God is not subject to us. We do not tell God what to do. We can pray, we can interact, but we don't say, move the moon closer. I want it. We don't say that. Demons are never an authority over believers. We have authority over them. The church does not tell Jesus what to do. Your children do not control you. At least they shouldn't. And in multiple places throughout the Bible, it is written that wives are subject to their husbands. You know what this doesn't say, though? It doesn't say husbands are to be totalitarian jerks. It doesn't say control your wife. It doesn't say dominate, be selfish, harsh, abusive, or cruel. It doesn't say any of those things. What it says, actually, is it says love Love her, and that in your love for her, she will radiate with joy and willingly submit. The image that Danielle and I tend to use is this image of her being sheltered under my wing. Uh, We got it from Psalm 91. It kind of describes our relationship with Christ. And so this says, Psalm 91, 4, He, Jesus, shall cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. That's my posture. I, that's how I defend her. It's how I show her love and truth. And in that place, there's safety. There's assuredness. There's comfort and joy and oneness. 
the moment that she steps out of that position, the moment that she steps out from under my wing, that's when it all breaks down. That's the moment of her feeling rebellious, resentful of my leadership, competing for the leadership of our family. And the hardest part about all of that, it's in our natures. Like that's the consequence of the fall is it's in our natures to do that. Uh, The consequences of the fall of listening to the serpent is that these roles get all reversed and distorted. But it's in marriage, in that mystery of the oneness, that we get to emulate, to model, to live the relationship that God originally created for Adam and Eve all the way back in the garden. So let's look at the whole passage. Ephesians 5, starting in verse 22. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church. And he is the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. Then quoting Genesis 2.24, Paul continues and says, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So again, I want to unpack these verses in reverse order. So we're going to start in verse 33. It says here, let the wife see that she respects her husband So what does respect look like? So author Grace Driscoll wrote this. She said that respect includes your head, your heart, and your hands. She comments that respect starts in our heads and includes our minds and our thoughts about our husband. If our hearts are working toward respect, then our mouths will follow because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And that a wife should have hands that pray, that touch, that feed, and that open the Bible. All in a manner that shows respect to her husband. So if that's respect, what does love look like? The passage reads, let each one of you husbands in particular so love his own wife as himself. So what's love? Honestly, one of the best definitions I've ever heard on this comes from our kids' Bible. It's called the Jesus Storybook Bible. And it says this. It says, love is never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever. Love. And I love this picture. It says, run to him like a child runs into her daddy's arms. That's the kind of love that God shows us. 
God loves each of us, every single one of us, with a love that is never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever. And that same love that God shows us, husbands, that's the type of love that we're to show our wives, that our love for her is never stopping, it's never giving up, it's unbreaking, it's always and forever. And the litmus test to see if we're doing it right, to see if we're loving our wives properly, is found in verse 27 there. It says this, that she should be holy and without blemish. See, so often the world tells us that if we as men lead our families, it's going to be seen as authoritarian, 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 like really bad. And that woman, if you submit to your husband, you're going to give up your rights and your independence. See, the world says that, yes, the husband's the head, but the wife, she's the neck that turns the head. But the world doesn't understand that sacrificial, never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love that husbands are to show and to lead with. And the world doesn't understand what it means for wives to submit and respect their husband as the church submits and respects to Christ. And if we do all of that right, if we do all of that right, then we get to experience in our marriage this idea of oneness that God designed all the way back in the garden. But it's hard to get our heads around oneness, one flesh in marriage. See, marriage should reflect the oneness, the one flesh idea that Adam sings about in Genesis 2. I'll bring it back up here, this time in the New Living Translation. It says this, it says, At last, Adam exclaimed, At last, she is part of my own flesh and bone. That's the type of love that we should be going for. That's the relationship of oneness that we're looking for at last. So in Josiah Venture, the organization that we work with and work for, um, we talk about that oftentimes, though, this idea of oneness of marriage, really because we live in kind of a distorted and broken world, oneness, one flesh of marriage, actually looks a lot like a bunch of other types of ones. And really what we're going for is one flesh. But oftentimes, it looks like something else. And so as we go through these five types of ones, I'm wondering if maybe your marriage today, or your idea of marriage if you're single, doesn't look a little bit more like some of the other types of ones than what we're looking for in one marriage, one flesh. Our goal is to get those two people to be one And maybe it starts out that way, but eventually life happens and suddenly we realize and we wake up one day that we're not really one flesh, but we're more like one house. Like we're roommates. We've got a mortgage together. We we live in the same house. We share things in the house. We garden together. We do household chores together. And that's the extent of our marriage is we're roommates. We share a home Maybe, maybe you're not in that position. Maybe you've realized that you're actually, the kids have come along and that your marriage that used to look like maybe one flesh, now it looks more like one family. And what you share are the children, your parents, that you go on date night because that's what married couples do, but your topic of conversation revolves around 
your children. You don't know how to talk to your spouse outside of, do you see what Sally did today? It was so cute. Your wife's really cute too, by the way. <laughs> Gotta remember that. You talk about your children, you shuttle your children all over the place. You shuttle your lives centered around your children. But it's not marriage. Your parents. Maybe you're in a different place. Maybe you don't have children or maybe you're just in a different place and you share what's in common. You're the one co-op. Your partners, you share whatever you have in common. So you share the hobbies that you like, but then as husband, I retreat into my man cave because that's my dominion. Or, or maybe I've got friends that she doesn't because I just don't want to share. We share the things we have in common but the rest of this stuff, that's not allowed to enter into our marriage. The worst one, the scariest one, is the one person. It's the merger. It's when one person becomes lost in the identity of the other. You hear this a lot when you say, this is Daniela and her husband. And we laugh, but we've heard it. We've seen it. We see it in media. We see it in sports figures. And we see it in all kinds of different places around us where the identity of one of the spouses, and it doesn't matter which one, the identity of one of the spouses gets lost in the identity of the other. That's not at all what God designed. What he designed was one flesh, one marriage. And in that, we say that all that is in each of you belongs to both of you. See, one flesh is what the Bible says, that that's what we should be striving for and to achieve in our marriages, that all that is in each of you belongs to both of you. It's framed in this idea of biblical headship and submission. It's framed in this idea of love and respect. As I lead, she submits. As I love, she respects. All of me and all of her belong then to both of us. And in that, and in that there's oneness. But it's hard. I mean, it's super hard to do that. Oneness isn't just something that happens. It's not something that suddenly I slip on my, my magic wedding ring and bam, oneness. Got it. Check for the day. It doesn't work like that. Oneness in marriage means consciously working on it and talking about it, being vulnerable with each other in love and respect. Tim Keller in his book, The Meaning of Marriage, he wrote this. He said, marriage is different from all these other models. The merged life of marriage brings you into the closest, most inescapable contact with another person. And that means not only that you see each other close up, but that you are forced to deal with the flaws and sins of one another. But that's marriage. So for an example, our marriage, Danielle and I, we've been married for almost 12 years now, and we're still working on this, let me be completely honest. There are times when our marriage looks more like the one co-op or, or the one family, and we're far from one flesh. But then there are times when, 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 we're, when it looks like that one flesh, and we're constantly striving for that concept, but it means that I'm having to work really hard at understanding my role as the biblical head of our family and she's working really hard at respecting me and submitting to, that, to me. But if I'm honest, if I'm honest with you, every single one of our fights, and yes, missionaries fight, 
once a year, just so we can feel like we're normal. Every single one of those once a year fights, if I pull back all the layers, because honestly, some of our fights are just dumb, I don't like chocolate brownies, like the vanilla ones. Why don't you know that? Every one of our fights boils down to this. I stopped leading, so she stopped submitting. So then I stop loving, and she stops respecting. Every time. I've stopped leading, so she stops submitting. So I stop loving, and she stops respecting. And it's broken every single time. But when we get it right, oh man, it's so good. It's so good when we get it right. And it lets us do so much more for the kingdom. Because again, all of me and all of her then belong to both of us. So I want to bring Daniel up for a little bit because this is a lot of theoretical head stuff. And I want to actually bring her up and say, how does this work in, in reality? What does one flesh look like in practice? Uh, you put two sinners of opposite gender into one place and you hope for the best, right? And uh, yeah, it doesn't always work like that, right? And uh, I know that a lot of you are married longer than we are. 12 years is nothing compared to some of you. And some of you are even longer Christians. And I believe that all, a lot of you are saying, yes, I heard it so many times. Women, love your husband. I mean, respect your husband. Men, love your wife. But it just doesn't work or it doesn't work all the time. And maybe you're struggling. Maybe you think that it's maybe a hopeless situation and can never change. But, you know, as Kevin said, we sometimes fight, fight too. <laughs> and I hope it's less and less than it used to be. But we were in a situation uh, a couple years ago that we were really struggling in this. Like, I don't even know exactly what was the problem. Well, we know, but... Um, uh, we were kind of in a circle and we, we end up always in a fight for random situations, in the random situations. And uh, I got into situ uh, in a place in my life that I said, okay, let's do it. We need to talk about it. We'll fight in the end, but we just have to get over with it because I cannot live, what they, I cannot live without not talking about it. So um, we were stuck and we didn't know how to move on. It took a long time till fortunately... Uh, God changed this and uh, I, I got to a spot when I said, God, please, you need to change something in me because the way I talk to Kevin, something sparks in him and I think I'm doing it right, but I don't, even I try. And the worst part about it was that it was always like Sunday afternoon once a year, naturally. But it was always like right after church, we'd get home and, and you could just feel the tension building. You could feel like something's going on. It was like there was like this big thing in the middle of the room and we we're trying to walk around and we we're like, okay, we're not going to fight this week. We're not going to do it. We're not going to do it. And then it just erupted. And, and we just were like this, we cannot keep doing this. Like this is not at all what God wants for our marriage. This isn't what he wants for us as parents or ministry leaders. He doesn't want this in any way. He doesn't want this in anybody's life. And yet there was something about it that the way she was talking to me, the way I was responding, the way that situation happened, something was totally broken. And so we said, okay, God, change us. I, I don't know how, what else, but change us. Change us. And so we started praying. And we're praying hard prayers, like all night prayers, like not the ones where you're like, God, change my wife 
and me too if you need to. <laughs> Your will be done. Amen. No, like these were like serious all night. I and mean, we were engaged in prayer. We were on our knees, begging, crying, just pouring out our hearts to each other, to God and saying, show us where this is. And suddenly God threw an image back in my head and I realized I was actually afraid of leading. I mean, as confident as I am in a bunch of different areas, stepping into biblical marriage and headship, I, I, I didn't want to, I was afraid of it. And so in that, I was surrendering my right to it. And Daniela was feeling like somebody needs to leave. I'll pick up, I'll help him. In our oneness, I'll help him. And so I'll help lead. And just kept buckling. And we had to confess that. We had to confess that I was wrong, that she was wrong. And we said, God, change us. Change our hearts. Change how we understand this. And suddenly things just started shifting. And the relationship snapped. And it was in a totally different place. It snapped into place. And over the next few weeks, things got a lot better. Yeah, to be honest, like after those prayers, we don't even remember the moment. It just becomes so natural that things just started to naturally work between us. And it was beautiful thing. And we believe that um, marriage should work like a, like a triangle when God is on top and husband and wife on, are on the bottom two corners. Where if the wife is connected to God, should be connected the same to her husband and the same thing for husband, connection to God and connection to wife. And this way, naturally, things can start to just work in unity the way God created us. The things just will naturally fall into the right places. And we have another a good example from our marriage, how we work it out. Um, about like a couple of years, probably five years ago, uh, Kevin was asked in our local church in Czech Republic to join and be an elder. But to example, to, to explain the situation, um, we're in the stage that both of us were running junior high and youth group ministry in that church in our free time. Kevin was asked to join a leadership position in Czech Josiah Venture, and, uh, and I was at home uh, with two little kids still nursing Esther, and Kevin was traveling a lot. So this was really busy time in our life. Um, and on top of that, Kevin was asked to do this, and we knew that this was an amazing opportunity for our future uh, uh, service and ministry in that church. Both of us had different input into this situation, but we said, okay, let's stop, let's not talk about it, and let's, let's pray about it. And we did, we prayed a lot. And so Danielle was still, you know, nursing Esther. And, and so we said, oh, we're going to fast and we're going to pray. But Danielle's just going to pray because she's still nursing and we don't want to do anything there. But I started fasting for two days and we were praying. We prayed in the morning. We prayed in the evenings. We prayed throughout the day with different friends. We brought some friend, uh, spiritual people into this conversation. And, and literally that second afternoon, I'm driving home from the office. I'm in my car driving home. And I'm like, God, just give me an answer. Okay, that's super... Okay. Okay, answered. And immediately I knew what the answer was. So I called Daniela and she'd been with her friend, um, one of her girlfriends that day, and they had been talking about this and praying together. And she was driving home. Um, and, and, and I said, Daniela, I, I think I've got an answer. And she said, I was just praying about this. I think I got an answer too. And I was like, okay, well then you go first. And she's like, you're the spiritual head. I'm like, good job. You passed that test. Look at you. And I said, okay, so um, here's, here's what I heard. And she said, and I said, uh, it's not the right time yet. And she said, that's exactly what I heard, but in check. 
That's the better language. If you want to hear God speaking to your life, listen to Czech. Listen I to can Czech. translate, yeah. okay? <laughs> and, and, it was, and it was incredible. We were miles apart from each other, but we had been fasting, we had been praying, we had been seeking the Lord's face and a, and a really heavy decision for our family at that point. And, and God gave us this very, very clear answer. And it was, and it was just, it, it was it. Like, and we were done discussing it. We didn't need to go about it anymore. We just knew that God, in the unity of our marriage, had answered that decision. Yeah, but you know what? We cannot guarantee you that this is always going to work. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, you, the best thing is to always go to, go, go to God. And if you will make the decision, maybe your spouse will not do that. And there's nothing what you can do about it. But still... I can guarantee you, if you will go and let Jesus fill your empty place in your heart, this is the only way you can survive through the situation, and this is the only way you can have really a joy in your life, no matter of your problems around you in your marriage. Um, only Jesus can fill that empty spot. Only Jesus can, can fill that, that intimacy that we all crave. And we all crave it in different ways. And we all fulfill it in different ways. Sometimes it's buying the newest iPhone or the green one that comes out in three days. Not that I know, but, you know, it's, it's what's the newest toy? What's the newest job position that I need? What's, it's my friend circle. It's my car. I'm going to fill that need somehow. Only Jesus can fill that need. And in that filling of those needs, in that filling of your spirit, that oneness in marriage, that we start to see those biblical roles, the way that God designed us back in the garden to be in community, to be in harmony, to be in union with him. Because he designed us and he said, I want this to be good. And it is good if you'd listen to me. It's good if you'd let me in. And if you don't know him, maybe it is time to let him in and figure that out. And if you've been walking with him for a while and your marriage isn't really doing exactly what it should, maybe it's time to let him into your marriage. Maybe it's time to start figuring out some of these things. Our time is just about up today. Um, we've got a lot of other stories that we could share about marriage and ministry. Um, and we're actually going to be sharing right after second service in the building next door. So if you want to come hear about what we do more in our marriage and um, in our ministry, and then also just how it's affecting everything with Ukraine literally on our doorstep, um, we'd invite you to come over and take a listen to that. Um, but We are also around here for the next almost two weeks. So if you cannot come for lunch, but you would like to see us or talk to us, maybe invite us for you know, a cup of coffee or dinner. Uh, we we are around here and we'd love to see you too. So, um, but before we dismiss, um, I want to leave you with something. The, this whole passage in Ephesians, uh, this whole chapter, um, Paul frames this whole thing and this idea. He begins the chapter with this. He says, "Therefore, be imitators of God, as dear children." And walk in love as Christ has also loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. See, no matter what the relationship is, whether it's our friends or our neighbors, our family, our children, our co-workers, our church, our marriage, we do all of it in love as Christ has loved us and given himself for us to be able to have that good relationship that God desires for us, we do it in love. So may your lives reflect and imitate the sacrifice 
that he gave for us. I'm gonna pray. Heavenly Father, I wanna thank you for today. I wanna thank you for what you did in the garden. I wanna thank you for how you love us sacrificially. And you have designed an incredible model for us to be able to look after. And yet we know that it is broken. It's broken as we seek after other things in life. It's broken as we try and fulfill those needs and those things with other toys and other friends, maybe relationships, job status, position, whatever it might be. And we chase after idols in our lives. And yet the only thing that can fill those needs and that sacrifice, that those needs and, and that hole in our lives is you through that sacrifice that you did on the cross. So I pray that we would take take a moment to really think about how we can have that one flesh in our marriage, how we can live lives in a way that show love for our friends, our family, our children, co-workers, our neighbors, our church, and our spouses. May you be glorified in everything. Thanks for tuning in today. We hope this message encouraged you to continue taking steps towards seeking and understanding God's truth. Join us again next week as we continue on in our series titled Words of Life. The dream is that Hilltop is a home for the growing family of God, and we're so glad that you are a part of the family.